Welcome to Podland, the last word in podcasting news. It's the 24th of February, 2022. I'm James Cridland, the editor of podnews.net. And I'm Sam Sethi, the MD of River Radio, the podcast's first radio station, going live on DAB on the 1st of March. And I'm John Spurlock, and I'm here to talk about the new Podcast Comments Open Standard at podcastsocial.org. Hey, Will. Podland is sponsored by Buzzsprout, podcast hosting made easy. Last week, 4,386 people started hosting with Buzzsprout. You can too at buzzsprout.com. And if you use chapters in your podcast app, then Buzzsprout supports those, and so do we. Now, this week, James, you and a friend of yours, Danny Brown, had a bit of fun. It seems that you changed ownership of podcasts. Danny became the owner of podnews.net, and you became owner of his podcast. Is that okay, James? No, <laughs> no, it's not okay. So this was in an app called Good Pods. And typically when you uh, go into an app and you want to claim ownership of a podcast, then it will send you an email and you have to click on the email if you get that email in the first place and blah, blah, blah. And then eventually you can prove that you own that particular podcast, except in Good Pods, where Good Pods just allows anybody to just say that they own it. So I could go in tomorrow and say that I own the Joe Rogan podcast and I could probably do that too which seems a little bit of a mistake. JJ Ramberg, who runs the Good Pods app, got all legal and said that if you do that, then we can terminate your Good Pods accounts. You may be subject to civil or criminal penalties, which is one way of responding. The other way of responding is to actually fix the bug from my point of view. But anyway, yeah, it was interesting seeing that. There must be better ways to claim ownership of a podcast. I know that Fountain, when you use the app there, ask for your email that's held within the RSS file. Now, that's one way mm -hmm. of doing it. Is that a good way? Yeah, that's all right, but it does end up being misused because obviously you've got lots of RSS feeds out there, 2.4 million of them, which all have email addresses of podcasters in them. So if you're a naughty company, then you can probably see, oh, look, 2.4 million email addresses of podcasters. I think I might be trying to email those. And it's particularly if you're a bad podcast host and you want to do something mean and naughty to a competitor. Ah, yes. Now, this week, sadly, Acast is going to be put on the naughty step, aren't they? Because they've been spamming podcasters, says our sponsor, Buzzsprout. And it's proof, actually, because we've seen the emails that have been going from Acast saying to people to remove themselves from Buzzsprout and join Acast. And it seems that what they've been doing is using that email held within the RSS file to actually spam people. The tweet that went out from Albemarle, where it was, this is why we can't have nice things. RSS feeds need to have the iTunes email tag so that directories can verify you own your podcast. But companies like Acast will use it to spam everybody with a podcast with emails like this. So clearly they've upset Buzzsprout. Did Acast do anything wrong, though? In most countries, no. Actually, in Europe, yes. And that still includes you lot, even if you're not in Europe anymore. And because it's against the GDPR rules, that's pretty clear. If you're not in Europe, then it's still weirdly legal. But everybody says that's bad behavior. Everybody says that's a bad thing. Alban Brook, when I spoke to him, he said it's a spammy marketing tactic that has no place in podcasting, especially from one of the most respected brands in the industry. I asked uh, Acast of the point of view, because I'm good like that, 
And they said, email marketing is one part of our marketing strategy as we look to bring even more great creators to Acast and we're focused on providing the best possible tools and services to help them reach their potential. Or if you like it better that way, stuff off, we'll spam people if we want to. I think it's a very disappointing thing and I'm very sad to hear Acast doing that. Since I reported on that, I've had other really interesting and quite depressing emails about Acast's behavior, spamming a customer customers of particular podcast hosts or particular podcast networks, basically spamming those and and telling them to move. I think it's a pretty bad practice. And it's a real shame that Acast, who have been one of the good people, seem to be stooping as low as this. Yeah, I know that they're going after the long tail of podcasting now, rather than just going after the top end, which is where they started. So clearly it's their strategy to reach out to as many podcasters as possible. Yeah, there's a very good way of reaching out to 20,200 podcasters, and that's to advertise in pod news, which is something that they haven't done, to promote the fact that they are good and promote the fact that they are worthwhile switching to. At the moment, what people are hearing is that they're actually not a very good company and they're treating people without much respect, and that appears to be a bad plan. Okay, so... We've got the RSS feed. It's got email within it. Is there an option Mm. that we could look at that you think we could change to for making claiming of a podcast better? Yeah, I think so. I've written some proposed documentation of how something might work. So the idea is instead of having email, which is a bad thing anyway, it's bad because it helps bad actors like Acast spam people, but it's also bad for privacy reasons and all kinds of other things. Instead of using email, then actually just uh, pass a token through. So the idea is, the proposal that I've written up, is that when you try and claim a podcast on, let's say, Good Pods, then Good Pods will give you a button to claim your podcast. You click it, it goes to your podcast host, and your podcast host says, do you want to claim this in Good Pods? And you click yes. And you're back in Good Pods and you've got a claimed podcast. And you also have, uh, Good Pods also has proof that you own your podcast, which is a good thing. And that seems to be a pretty straightforward thing. It's based on OAuth, which is the standard way of doing this. And I think that would be a good plan to eventually remove email addresses from RSS feeds. Yeah, I was talking to John Spurlock and we'll be listening to his interview in a minute. But one of the things we talked about was the fact that you could use OAuth, but in fact, there's a protocol that's been around that's related to OAuth called Webfinger. Webfinger would do exactly what you're saying, James. It would allow you to create a URI to your account that looks like an email address that would be with your host. So it's fundamentally like a a pointer back to your host saying, here's where we are. Yes, it's validated take it away and you can claim it and so that might be the way that we go yeah whether it's web finger whether it's that whether it's so auth whether it's an auth like system or whether it's something else frankly i don't care from my point of view it needs to be easy straightforward for anyone to code that's the most important thing here and it needs to be secure ish you're not talking about a bank feed here <laughs> you're talking about uh, an rss feed so it needs to be secure ish And as long as it is, then it would be great. But something would be really good. Yeah, look, let's wait and see whether this is the way forward or not. But I agree, leaving email open within the RSS may not be the best way forward. Now, 
I mentioned him a few minutes ago. John Spurlock is a developer over in Dallas who's been working very hard on the Activity Pub integration with RSS, fundamentally adding a social layer network to what we do with RSS. And the first iteration of that is adding not just comments to your podcast app, but actually adding federated comments. So the idea is that if you are listening to an episode of this show and you wanted to leave us a comment on your favourite app, that comment could also appear in other apps as well and you could have a threaded conversation. So I called up with John and asked him how he's getting on with Activity Pub and what he's been doing. I'm with John Spurlock. John, hey, how are you? Good, Sam. How are you? Glad to be here. Where in the world are you? So I'm an independent software developer located here in Dallas. It's a little chilly today, which is not normal for Dallas. Now, you've been working on something to do with the podcast index space called Podcast Social Interact. You've been working on, I guess, for end users, the ability to comment and co-comment across something called the Fediverse. So let's split that back down. First of all, what is the Fediverse and then what have you been working on? Sure. So in general, comments is a very interesting feature. And I think it's one of the more interesting features of the podcast namespace initiative. One of the reasons for that is that it's something that all users intuitively have an understanding of. We don't have to do a lot of explanation. If a new app comes out and they want to show comments, that's a great differentiation feature for them. Same with podcast hosts, any sort of podcast host that wants to perhaps offer something a little different, they can offer comments and moderation as a service on their side. So it's a great kind of feature that is not really related to any of the other podcast 2.0 features. So even if you haven't looked into any of the other features so far, you could imagine just implementing comments as a good first step, something everyone knows, standard feature of the internet. It'd be great if every podcast app could show in line right below each episode, the replies for that particular episode so that just like YouTube, you can drill down on more and then also possibly post. If an app gives you a box to reply, you could be part of the conversation. It'd be nice if all of those apps are using the same conversation. So it's one thing for one app to lock comments within their own app, but then the podcaster has to go to that app to look at that discussion. And the users are really only seeing the discussion for that particular app. But the new standard that the podcast namespace is proposing would be a way for podcasters to control where the particular comment venue is for a given episode, and then also for the apps to then all use that. So it solves a bunch of problems at once. So what is that standard? What is the actual tag standard? So the tag is fairly simple from a podcaster that wants to get started today. They add a tag at the item level, which is at the episode level. It's called podcast colon social interact. And that tag takes the platform. So Twitter or activity pub, and then it takes the URL. So let's say you have a tweet that you've created that uh, is the official post for that particular episode. You put the tweet in there. And then also the Fediverse is similar. It's probably worth talking about the Fediverse. Uh, a lot of people haven't heard of that. Just think of Twitter as a water cooler where everyone exists in the world. Everyone is at the same water cooler. Uh, the Fediverse is hundreds of smaller water coolers where you could have a water cooler of one where you just have your name at that particular domain, but you're still able to talk to the other water coolers. And the way that they do that is using a protocol called ActivityPub. ActivityPub is an older standard. It's a W3C standard, uses the same standards bodies as a lot of the core protocols of the internet. And it was used to do this, but what's really cool about it today is that there are a lot of active Fediverse instances where people are actually commenting. So this isn't just pie in the sky, 
this would be nice to have, but this is something that people can get started with today. And there are many active discussions going on. But ultimately, it behaves a lot, and a lot of the implementations look a lot like Twitter. So you get a URL, and then you see the comments at that particular URL. So the tag itself is simple. Again, it's either for Twitter, here's the link to the tweet, and for Fediverse, here's a link to the Fediverse. What's great about the Fediverse in particular, and Twitter to a lesser extent, is that apps can pull in that data in line. So they don't have to just put a link in the app to actually send them outside of the app as part of the experience. They can pull in that data directly and even post directly. Uh, Twitter with the Twitter API and then the Fediverse with a little bit more complicated set of APIs. But that really helps us realize this vision today of all apps can show comments in line and then also participate. And then the podcaster is still in control. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. And I've recently been creating some open source components so that apps maybe have a little bit easier time getting started. Yeah, so you've created a couple of websites. The first one is podcastsocial.org. Tell me what's at podcastsocial.org. So that's meant to be a few things. Uh, number one, it's meant to be in English. What is the deal with podcast comments? What's this new stand? Um, how do I get started? So from various points of view, if you're a podcaster, how do I get started? What is the tag? What, what do I need to put in my feed? If you're a podcast host, what do I need to do to get started on the app side? And then from all the various folks in the ecosystem. So it's meant to be something in English to say, okay, I've heard about this, but how do I get started? The second thing is for apps, there's an interesting problem where even if all apps supported this today, no conversations are officially taking place because podcasters haven't added it to their feeds yet. Hopefully they do, but we need something in the interim so that we don't go back to all implementing comments in our own apps and siloing the conversation. So what would be nice is if for any given episode, you could call a service and say, where is the unofficial conversation for this taking place? And it would be a single unofficial stable sort of URL so that all apps can participate in it. So that's what this uh, second service that I created as it's a programmatic API service. The primary function of that is to provide a very simple way for app developers to say, hey, I have someone that's ready to comment. I would love to have a post that exists out in the world. Ultimately, I'd love to see that API come back into the podcast index itself, but we'll see how that goes. And what difficulties or challenges did you find when you were starting to put this together? One of the things is, again, Twitter has a great API. So today, if you put a Twitter link in your tag, apps can show that decently well, and there's great documentation. ActivityPub, as I'm sure you know, because I know you have a history with open source standards and development, yeah. the implementation slightly differs depending on which of these servers are being used. Mastodon is one of the most popular servers in this. It's free. It has a great UI, and it speaks this language, ActivityPub, to the other servers. So I highly recommend anyone that's looking into that to either find a Mastodon server that they can have an account on or even host their own or have someone host it for them. But it's tricky because it's not exactly documented. There's no one single site that says, here's the current version of what everyone's speaking. So I went through and did a lot of that work and just poked around and looked at the current state of things. And so on minipub.dev, that's a site for kind of that work. And I have some examples of calls from various uh, Fediverse servers and that sort of thing. Some of the technical details that apps would need to do. So that's one thing that's challenging. The other thing that's challenging is just it's distributed, just like the internet is distributed. So some of these servers don't exist anymore. But I think in general, I would say the Podcast Index Project, which is a great kind of project moving these standards forwards, did a great job in adding this as an option. 
And I would say, even if a podcaster wants to point to their Twitter post for a given episode, I think it's worthwhile for them to just check out what Mastodon offers. And you can actually choose two. You can say for Twitter, here's where the URL is. And then for the Fediverse, here's where the URL is. Just to get started. Because it offers us the ability in the future to do things like reviews and some sort of additional metadata along with the message that apps and the hosts could actually work with. And I could see an extension to ActivityPub that kind of does that. Yeah, because once you can federate comments, it's not hard to think about federating other content. As you said, reviews, exactly. ratings can get federated. Now, one of the things I was looking at was the OAuth 2.1 standard that has recently been updated. And one of the things that was interesting to me was, let's say I was in Castapod or Podfriend or one of the apps that's already looking to support activity pub and comments okay app still requires me to log in individually into that app one of the things i thought that might be really interesting and i did a little bit of squirreling around was that you can actually use uh, a mastodon activity pub address with oauth 2.1 and actually log into an app so instead of like we did today in web 2 you've got uh, login with Facebook or login with Twitter or login with whatever, and it does the OAuth jump. Do you see ActivityPub, once it's embedded into apps, allowing people to say, look, you don't have to log in locally with my credentials on a single app and then another set of credentials on another app and another set of credentials. I happen to have a Mastodon account and it happens to be at the podcast index, as an example, um, and I'm going to use that as my credentials to log in. Is that something that's been in your brain considered? Absolutely. That's part of the ActivityPub model. So the ActivityPub model defines uh, users at a particular domain, but it really has nothing to do beyond that. So you mentioned Mastodon, but um, again, that open source project basically implements the pieces to allow users to be defined at an app level. So let's say Overcast, for example, wants to support app comments. They would basically put a, a subdomain like comments.overcast.fm and you'd have a user at that domain. So each app could actually define automatically for users an identity that could be used to respond to these podcast comment threads, which is exciting. And then like you said, if you had an existing account, let's say you use multiple apps and you want it to appear as the same user across all of them, you could bring your existing account. Now, you and I are a little technical than most people. A lot of people won't have that to start out with, but the protocol is something that allows all of those scenarios. So that's what's really exciting about it. That's something that Twitter doesn't do. You have to have an account on Twitter. And so each app would have to have the flow to log in as your Twitter account when you're logging in. But that's why this activity pub is interesting because it allows all these various scenarios down the road. And even today, actually, it's not impossible to run your own Mastodon, but it's like anything. It's something you have to self-host and manage. One of the original specs for activity pub was to be an open source social network standard, basically. Exactly. That was yep. its original thinking because obviously we'd had myspace and we'd had friend feed if you remember those and then of course we got facebook and there was this anti-centralization and from what i remember of the code the the structure is active verb object isn't it that's it's, right that's right john follows uh this thing here over there that's Do right you imagine extending the podcast index namespace podcast social interact to allow social networking within podcasting as well so extending it so i could follow a particular episode or i could comment on a particular episode but also sharing a particular all of these social networking type things that we've got used to in web 2 can we apply that to podcasting 
that's what's interesting is you can do that today. So all the podcaster needs to do is specify where that takes place. And all of these features are available today. So it's just a matter of programming to get that done. But for example, that Minipub, which is a small activity pub service, it talks activities and it says new users created and then a new post is created and then you can delete a post. You can actually edit a post. It's actually interesting. The Fediverse supports editing posts, but a lot of the implementations don't because they want to be like Twitter. But the model supports it just fine. You can hear a lot of feedback. I hear them already about moderation. So if this model is very open, which it is, how does one control, let's say a comment appears that I don't want to show in the official feed, how do I do that? So all requests for federations are just that. They're just requests. And basically a local copy is created on the sender side. So all activities happen on the sender side. But then the receiver has the ability to see all these inbox activities to decide whether or not they want to display them as a reply or not. And again, that's up to the UI of that implementation to give them that ability. Mastodon has a pretty good uh, facility for this. So in that way, you get best of both worlds. You have the ability to own your own little sphere of the domain, but you can also then request to be federated to the other servers and they have moderation ability. You've mentioned a couple of times that you can use a Twitter URL as an alternative to an activity pub comment. Now, Twitter's got a project that it's working on called Blue Sky. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you know of Blue Sky and how that might fit into what you're doing? I've been following this from afar. And if ever anyone's interested in this, they can just Google Blue Sky Discord and see what the conversations are going on there. But from a very early on, I don't know if you remember in Twitter, Jack actually was very interested in making Twitter more than just a single site, but actually federating out the data. And they did this through the API, making it more available to other internet kind of comment services. And that has not really gone anywhere yet, but there's very much interest in this. So Blue Sky is the latest initiative. Now that Fediverse is hot again, they are looking into how to support ActivityPub coming in and out of Twitter and what that would look like. Now, a lot of these discussions are still very early on, and there's a lot of astronautics being discussed there. <laughs> and it's like anything, we'll see what comes out of it, but they're definitely interested in it. So that's another reason why having your own kind of activity pub or Fediverse identity right now is interesting. One thing that's interesting that we haven't talked about is from the host point of view. So mm -hmm. hosts, to get started with this, the hosts are the, ultimately the ones creating most of the RSS feeds out there today. So you can imagine them to support this tag, adding a simple text box, where's the Twitter post for this URL or for this episode, where's the Fediverse instance. That's a kind of V1 implementation. But what's interesting is they could provide a service, they could be the comment host for the podcasters on their platform. They already provide a similar service for, let's say, an episode website. You get a basic website for every episode. That's one last thing the podcaster has to do. They could implement the small part of ActivityPub that's necessary to be a comment post. So they wouldn't have to use Mastodon or incorporate any other third-party software. They could have like comments. I don't know, buzzsprout.com URLs created for every episode. And that would be very cool. And that way they could give the podcasters the ability to moderate and so forth on their end and participate in the system in a bigger way. And then in the future, if Twitter decides to uh, implement these sort of protocols, they'd be ready for that as well. If anyone's interested in that, by the way, I've been looking into this over the last few months. So john at podcastsocial.org, if anyone has some pointers on how to get started with some of this stuff. 
Yeah, talking about how to get started, again, going back to the website you've created, podcastsocial.org, is that a good step-by-step guide to begin with, just to remind everyone? Yeah, I, I would say... done it for. Absolutely, absolutely. I would say if you have no prior knowledge on this, that's a decent place to get started. It has links to the actual underlying spec from the podcast namespace project, and it has links to other components that are out there. And I guess I'll keep it updated as things go on. And I think it's a very interesting new feature that potentially the open podcasting system can offer both on the app side and on the host side. Brilliant. John, thank you so much for all your work on Activity Pub and, and co-commenting. Uh, keep it up, as they say. What's the next part of your plan? As part of this, I've been working on a top secret podcast client app. So I have a kind of a client app in development. It's not a standard app, but it's interesting in a different direction. And I probably will have the ability to comment either in the first pass or the second pass of that app. So that's another reason why something like this would be interesting. But I've been around following podcasts from the very beginning and following RSS from the beginning. So being able to program media is very interesting. <laughs> and so that's, uh, that's something that I'm definitely working on from a variety of different angles. Yeah, I noticed Dave Weiner the other day had woken up again. and I was starting to use RSS to tweet with, which is very interesting. Yes, I've been following him from the beginning as well. And it's actually quite amazing 20 years later that RSS is still being used. But some of the simplicity, I think, is part of the appeal. And yeah, it's interesting to see where things will go. Well, RSS was originally a data transport layer, not a podcast layer. Uh, the enclosure tag was when they added the podcasting element, but the actual original XML was a, a data transport layer. Oh, absolutely. data around. Do you yeah. remember Pointcast? That's where I first got yeah. in and found out about RSS. And I yeah. loved Pointcast. So I'm a news junkie, so it's great for being pushed news stories as they occur. And I think, if I remember correctly, RSS was the open version of that. They would show up in the Netscape widgets and that sort of thing. I still use RSS to manage my incoming news flow every day, so it's great for that as well. It's cool to see podcasting coming along later as well. Brilliant. John, thank you so much. Keep in touch and, and hopefully catch up with you when you bring your app out. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot, Sam. John Spurlock, he's a very bright man, isn't he, Sam? He is. He knows his beans. Oh, he certainly does. Yeah, no, really good. And he does a, an awful lot of data work with the podcast world as well, which I link to every single month. Fascinating guy. Really good. Yeah, I, I highly recommend going over to the websites he's created because literally I think the next step forward for podcasting is adding this social layer so that users can start to interact with creators. And I think that will really make podcasting much more interesting because as podcasters, what do we want? We want that feedback loop. And this seems yeah. to be a really good way of doing it. Yeah. No, I think that's uh, really good. You could look at, at it the other way and go, we've got a feedback loop. It's called Boostergrams. And there's another benefit of that is that we earn money when we get a Boostergram. And of course, with cross-out comments, you don't. And what we've essentially done is we've built two messaging systems, and that's probably a bad thing. But I can also see from the other side that it's a good thing to have something which is federated and visible to all so any clever person out there who can combine the two comment systems together put your hand up please <laughs> yes indeed all right moving forward one of the other stories i read about this week was linkedin it seems has woken up and it's going to partner with verizon and enter the podcasting arena james what are they doing 
What are they doing? They're partnering with Verizon. Verizon is sponsoring something. They are launching a podcast network of three different shows. And that's going to be fun, isn't it? And that's basically it. One of them is sponsored by LinkedIn. You would have thought, wouldn't you, that LinkedIn would be a little bit more exciting about adding podcasts into the LinkedIn platform and Mm. everything else. But no, they're just going to do a show with Reid Hoffman in it. So that'll be a thrill. Yeah, I know. Crushing disappointment. I'm sorry. sorry. I can hear the disappointment from here. I think I wrote a post recently which said LinkedIn's totally failed in the sense that it should have owned the business graph and it just doesn't. Facebook pages are irrelevant and Facebook groups are totally irrelevant and LinkedIn should have owned that business graph where we all go we've got our connections and we've got our social graph in there but but if you apply I don't know if you've tried James for the newsletter you never get a response if you apply to do live broadcast feeds so if you use something like StreamYard Mm. and you want to be able to broadcast this podcast live as well You never get a response from LinkedIn saying, oh, yes, here you go. Here's the process. No, you have to randomly know somebody in LinkedIn and scratch their back and rub (laughs) coin to them. And eventually you might get it. And so nobody uses that. So half the things that they've rolled out or tried to roll out, they've just done so badly that I don't know what LinkedIn is anymore. But again, you would have thought, wouldn't you, that at the very least, LinkedIn would have a simple, straightforward way for developers to go. I would like to link to Sam Sethi's page on LinkedIn. How do I do that? And can I please grab a photograph of Sam Sethi? Mm -hmm. And you can't you can't even do that. You can't even do that. So I link to a LinkedIn page for anyone who's just been hired or who's leaving a job or whatever it is in pod news every day. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice if I could have the image from their LinkedIn page, which is publicly visible to everybody? Wouldn't it be lovely if I could just go and uh, grab that? But there isn't actually an API way of doing that at all in LinkedIn. (laughs) And you're there thinking, surely it's an obvious use case. Bless them. Microsoft, once they touch anything, then it all changes, doesn't it? Yeah, as long as you pay your £400 for in-mail, you're okay. Yes, indeed. Good Lord. Now, Edison Research released their super listener study this week. What is a super listener, James, and what was the study about? Well, a super listener is is an adult, in this particular case, a US adult, who listens to more than five hours of podcasts a week, a super listener. And it turns out that uh, the data that they released this week with Ad Results Media, or last week, says that they are listening to podcasts longer, and they're also paying more attention to ads on podcasts than other social media or other media, indeed. So that's pretty good. But there is a bit of a warning sign in there. Last year, 18% of people said that there were way too many adverts in podcasts, 22% now. So that's significantly up now say that there are way too many adverts in podcasts. And these are super listeners who listen to a lot of shows. So that's probably a little bit of a warning sign that perhaps we're beginning to get a little bit too podcast advert heavy. The other thing that it was talking about was where people consume podcasts. Over half of them have listened to podcasts on YouTube. And 19% say that YouTube is their primary way of discovering new shows, not listening, but discovering new shows, 19%, which is a a big number. Yeah, really interesting data from the Super Listeners study. It's the second or third year, I think, with Ad Results Media and Edison Research. Yeah, I was in London this week at the Podcast Futures event, 
and Laura Ivy was there, the Director of Research at Addison Research. Brilliant presentation, Laura, well done, highlight of the event. And yeah, she went into great detail about all of these super listeners and the metrics they have. And YouTube, unbelievably, James, I know you've been saying this for months now, but mm. in their data stood out like a, a sore thumb of ways that people are discovering podcasts in the younger generation and then converting over yeah. to becoming subscribers. Indeed, converting over to becoming subscribers on different platforms, I think. And that's the interesting thing. But YouTube is very large. And it was interesting, the Pod News report card that we're doing this week, I had an email from somebody saying, why aren't you asking about YouTube? And I said, well, because it's not a podcasting app. And they said, and this was somebody who may have had a Google email address, and they were saying, it'd be really interesting what people thought of YouTube as a podcast platform. Um, and my response, it isn't one. <laughs> it's possibly a little bit old fashioned, because it clearly is. So that was interesting. By the way, over 130 responses now to the pod news report card which is really good there's still time uh, for you to uh, have your say about podcast platforms and stuff like that podnews.net slash report card is where to go but that wasn't the only piece of edison research uh, data was it this week no it's not james edison research also released their first u.s top podcast networks ranker and sxm media came out as number one for podcasts uh, yes mm. they released a top 20 which is uh, interesting an awful lot of tied publishers in there and i have to say whenever i see tied numbers in a piece of research this that that is so big you do wonder whether the the survey number was large enough if you're seeing ties but anyway it's top three at number three iHeartRadio, number one for podcast number two spotify and at number one, SXM Media, which is Sirius XM, Stitcher, and all of that kind of uh, stuff. It look, it, and that's basically data from the whole of 2021, because they ask people every single week during that particular year. It, really interesting to see. Now, there are two other rankers that we know of in the US. One of them is PodTrack, and they show iHeartRadio as number one. They don't show Spotify, because Spotify don't measure with them, and they don't show SXM Media, because they don't measure with them. Whereas if you have a look at the other one, which is Triton Digital's podcast ranker, then SXM Media is number one of theirs, and iHeartRadio isn't measured by Triton Digital. So you end up with this sort of weird thing where you've got two individual podcast rankers who are measuring different people. And this one, because they are essentially asking 8,000 different podcast listeners what stuff they listen to, and they can actually turn around and give you a full proper view of the entire market. So interesting to see the data in there. The rest of the top uh, 10, NPR at four, the New York Times at five, Odyssey at six, Audio Boom at six, Cumulus Podcast Network at eight, PRX at eight, and Wondery at eight. So that's the top 10. And uh, yeah, fascinating figures. So good on them for releasing that. Yeah, Tom Webster, the Edison Research SVP said, we've tracked this space for 10 quarters with thousands of listeners and the data we see has been incredibly stable over that period of time. Uh, yeah, no, interesting stuff. Tom Webster, of course, a uh, good man, currently in Boston at the moment with his dog called Walnut. And if you're a friend of his on Facebook, all you see every single day is another picture of Walnut. Okay, a quick roundup of Spotify, because they've been quite heavy in the news oh, again. Good. If they keep making the news, we've just got to report it. Now, take a bow, Mr. Cridland, take a bow. It seems that the world is catching up with the story that you broke many months ago about Spotify announcing podcasts, but not creating podcasts. And it seems the 
Spotify splashy deals with stars like Ava DuVernay to Kim Kardashian, which aren't podcasts, has now gone mainstream. I think I read it in the Reuters, News, Bloomberg and various other places. So, yeah, except no one's mentioned you, James, as the source. No, Business Insider very kindly linked to Hot Pod, which was good of them. Thanks, Business Insider. I think you'll find that we covered that list and Hot Pod just took a grumpy response from Spotify when they couldn't be bothered to talk to me. Interesting to see. And this has rumbled up every couple of weeks. More people have been realising that Spotify have made an awful lot of announcements and haven't actually launched very many. Now, there are some of these announcements of first look announcements, which basically says, that Spotify gets first look, but they don't actually buy anything. Some more of those announcements are announcements that they're working on something, but it might not actually lead to anything. But at the end of the day, these are all announcements promising new and exciting podcasts that don't appear. So I think you can look at the mitigating circumstances here and you can go, that's fine, but that's not the impression that these uh, announcements give. And what Business Insider said is that Dawn Ostroff likes a good announcement and is less interested, frankly, at whether or not the podcast actually goes to air, which I think is interesting. They got the bounce up on the share price, but currently they're getting the bounce down on the share price. It's below 150, which, uh, again, bodes well for my prediction of Netflix buying Spotify. We will see. And of course, Spotify, they obviously licensed the Joe Rogan podcast for a lot of money. Now, we have all been reporting that it was about $100 million. But actually, it turns out the New York Times has done some digging that it wasn't a three-year deal, it was a a three-and-a-half-year deal, as if that matters, and that the money wasn't $1 million, it was over $200 million. So twice as expensive as we thought that it was, and it was already pretty expensive. Yeah, that that was an expensive show. So no wonder that they want to keep hold of it and try and make as much money out of it as possible. Yeah, they've also they announced uh, that they were going to buy the Findaway audio books, but that deal hasn't closed yet for some reason. So looking at their Q4 figures, it's very clear that they paid 14 million euros for Yes, that's 15.5 million US dollars and uh, yeah, which is a pretty good deal for it's a pretty good deal for Wushka. Uh, certainly. Yeah, yeah that, that's interesting to see those uh, numbers as they uh, come out. All I'm going to say is, Rob, it's drinks on you at Podcast Movement. I'm not getting my wallet out. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. If he's allowed to go to Podcast Movement now. Oh, okay. Of course, which is the other thing. Mm. Yes, embargo, never to be seen again. Now, Spotify, we've been alerted by a friend of the show, Chris Messina, is adding auto-downloads for podcasts. What does this mean, James? Why would they do it? Auto-downloads, of course, exists in the other main podcast apps, particularly Apple Podcasts and also Overcast and others. What it essentially does to podcast numbers is it adds about 30%. That's the amount of podcasts that are downloaded automatically but are never listened to. And that's a number which is um, costed into podcast advertising and everything else. So it's not a particular concern. But it would make a big deal, a big difference, certainly, if uh, Spotify were to add auto downloads for podcasts, because they are a very big company. And if all of a sudden they add auto downloads, then, you know, that changes the world quite a lot. So I asked whether or not it was just a test. And I asked some more technical details about when does it stop downloading and all of that kind of uh, stuff. They spent 36 hours coming back to me. And they've come back to me and they said, it is just a test. And the spokesman tells us, 
We're always working to enhance the Spotify experience and we routinely conduct tests to inform our decisions. Some tests end up paving the way for new offerings or enhancements, while others may only provide learnings. We don't have any additional information to share at this time. So that's uh, clear as mud, isn't it? It's a bit like the sponsors thing they added for a little bit and then that's gone away as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so maybe there's testing stuff and going away. Maybe that's why they didn't want to actually answer any of the questions. But it's a really big deal if they were to add auto-downloads. That would be a big deal for the industry. And I hope that they are open about it. And I hope that they are collaborative about it. Because we all need to know. If all of a sudden that essentially means that we need to double double our server's capacity at peak times when we release a new show then we need to know about that. That would be useful because currently Spotify, of course, doesn't do any of that. Tell us, Spotify, tell us all of your information. Now, we talked about Spotify and pod sites and Chartable last week. I just want to point out Brian Barletta did a brilliant review of it on Sounds Profitable. Uh, I love the line from it. It's a bit like grading your own homework, isn't it? Third-party measurement. Basically, they will provide you with the analytics on your own data from the company itself yeah so i don't think that brian necessarily made friends in high places with his uh, point but he is basically saying look you can't give people third-party measurement by yourself you do actually need a third party in there and he says it'll be a hard case to make to continue using pod sites when your actions in aggregate benefit a tool that's most beneficial to Spotify and their direct clients. He thinks we should take collaborative action. He thinks that third-party measurement is really important for the health of the industry. And he points out that if you're buying ads using Google, then you end up using a Google tool to buy ads from the Google Display Network and you get all of the data from Google as to whether or not it worked or not. That doesn't seem to be the world's most safest way to get some independent measurement out there. You also, of course, have to look at Facebook, who um, only a few years ago were found guilty of essentially making lots of stuff up about the videos video advertising that they had on this system at the time and various other things. So third-party measurement really has its place. And I completely agree with uh, Brian that it is an important thing for the podcast industry. And actually, we don't have any. Podsites is owned by Authentic, who go out and sell advertising. Triton Digital is owned by iHeartRadio, who own a few things in terms of podcasting. So we don't actually have any well-known third-party measurement tools now and that's i think now james how's your snoop doggy dog album collection coming along oh it's uh it's it's non-existent sam but thank you for asking (laughs) so you didn't buy the new album back on death row or bodr then i take it you're not one of his fans you didn't get a nft and and pay snoop for his album I didn't. No, that would not necessarily be me. I'm more art of noise and weird 1980s music, personally. (laughs) The only reason I mentioned it, because it was quite fascinating, after his uh, appearance on Super Bowl, he basically sold his album and received over $44 million worth of NFT stash box, as they're called, for the album. Now, that in itself is not that interesting, but what it was, Snoop's album would have had to have been played more than 11 billion times on Spotify for him to earn anywhere near the same amount of money. And he did that. He earned his $44 million in just five days. And it just made me begin to think 
is this at the start of creators connecting directly with their super fans and showing that the value for value model, because that's really what Snoop was doing, actually works? And what would this mean if podcasters followed? Yeah, it, it's certainly interesting. It's always interesting seeing musicians doing different ways of selling their content. R Radiohead, of course, did a very famous thing uh, a while back where they were basically saying, pay as much as you think it's worth, and uh, which is essentially value for value all over again. And that was really successful or really not successful, depending on, <laughs> on uh, who you talk to there. But I think it's all fine. But NFTs, to me, just a little bit of hocus pocus. I'm not really uh, a believer in them. I think that it's just a bit of nonsense, to be honest. I know that you're really into it. No, I'm not. I'm with you, James. Moxie wrote a brilliant report over Christmas highlighting the Emperor's New Clothes, the ability to change the actual image of the NFT because it was a URL outside oh, yeah. of the blockchain to anything you, you want. So, no, I'm with you on that. But what I thought could have been interesting here is that they could have made these NFTs with an IP license within them. So, for example, Bowie Bonds that came out many years ago, people could buy them and, and they had future royalty rights to his music. And if mm. Snoop had made the NFT with an IP value, so 0.00001% of the album sales from this new album, and you own it because you've got proof with the NFT on the blockchain, then yeah. it becomes a tradable item. Just buying the NFT because you get a pretty picture and because you bought the album, I just don't think has the value, but it could have gone to the next stage. And, and I think that's where it will go, where people will release their content and they will release the some of the IP value as a percentage of that content and it will be proof within the NFT. That's where I think it should go. It'll be interesting watching. I, for one, will continue buying compact discs. Have you been in a green room recently? Just thought I'd mention that, that other thing that Spotify hasn't got going yet. Oh, yeah. No, no. No. Don't think anyone's been there yet. Moving on. No. Castos, we interviewed Craig a couple of weeks back. It seems they've partnered with Stripe to allow all of their customers to accept payments directly from listeners. So yeah, they're using the Castos automations engine to do this, and it adds new paying customers as private podcast subscribers. It's a good step forward, isn't it, James? Yeah, it's a pretty neat idea. Um, very easy to code into Stripe, take it from somebody who has, but also very good in terms of, in terms of Castos enabling that. Stripe is really interesting in that it's probably one of the only ways that you can charge for something in virtually any country across the world, but also on the other side, get paid from virtually any country in the world. So it's a pretty good system for that sort of thing, as long, of course, as you're behaving within the rules and regulations of uh, how Stripe works. So uh, nice to see Castoffs diving in and doing that. Yeah, my only concern is that you get the 3% transaction fee. But other than that, it sounds good. It, they give a really simple how it works breakdown. So you create your Stripe account, you create a product in Stripe and set the price that you'd like the customers to pay for access to your private podcast. You drop the product checkout link on your website. And this is what I thought was interesting. They're using the funding tag of your RSS feed and that's where it shows up in your podcasting app. Yeah, that's a clever idea, because I'm sure that uh, quite a few people could end up doing that, putting a Stripe link, because you can put these product links in various uh, places. It's a really neat, uh, that's a really neat way of using uh, Stripe. I think we used a while back, we used a, a tip jar 
for that you can do versus using uh, Stripe as well. And that seemed to work quite nicely. And you're absolutely right. There is a fee and the fee goes to Stripe and it's 2.9% uh, of everything that you sell plus a, I think here it's a 39 cent fee. It's no good for sending tiny amounts, but once you're over a dollar or so, then actually it's, it ends up, you do end up seeing a good amount of your cash and it comes through within uh, three days. So it's a pretty good uh, service. Now, talking of tiny amounts, of course, there's still Satoshis around. And Fountain have announced that, uh, very generously, Oscar, uh, Fountain are going to give every new user who plays a podcast a welcome gift of 1,000 sats. The offer ends on the 1st of March, but that's an interesting way to get people to understand how to use Satoshis. It's a really interesting way. And so if you are listening to this right now and you're thinking, I have never used this boosting thing and I keep on hearing... Sam and James witter on about it, and I should really understand how it works. Download the Fountain app now. You'll find it in either the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. Download the Fountain app now and open a podcast wallet. You will be given a thousand sats by Fountain within uh, 24 hours or 48 hours or so, and that is all good. And as you're given those sats, you will begin to understand how the whole thing works. And then give us the thousand sats, please. Press that boost button and send send them to us. That would be awfully kind of you. But seriously, it's well worth a play. And I heard Todd Cochran and Rob Greenley have turned on Value for Value on their podcast a couple of weeks ago. It's very clear that Todd has yet to play with it properly and yet to understand how to boost a, a podcast. And this is a really good way of having a play and seeing how the whole thing works. So um, good on you, Oscar, for uh, sorting that out. That's a very smart thing. Talking of uh, Rob Greenlee, Libsyn has launched Libsyn Studio Beta, an all-in-one free platform for new and casual creators to plan, launch, and distribute their podcast. Is this the anchor competitor? This was very strange news when they ended up launching it. What would you do if you had been, for the last five, ten years, you had been saying, don't go with free podcast hosts because they all fall apart and you're the product, not your podcast and all this kind of stuff. And setting Libsyn up as a premium podcast host, why all of a sudden would you launch something under the Libsyn name, which is a free podcast host? I just found it a really bizarre thing to do. Good on them. It means that they can sell. I, I did a show yesterday on Libsyn studio and it seems to be fine and it, it's got an ad in there uh, in the middle and it's got a little post roll at the end saying produced by Libsyn Studio and, and it all sounds very good it's a very easy system to record a podcast into but why would you do that if you're a paid podcast host well under the name Libsyn well you James often report that the number of podcasts moving to anchor is significant and often it's coming from Libsyn moving to Anchor. And I, I wonder whether this is a bit like crack cocaine marketing. Give it away for free, hook them in, and then upsell them to the full enterprise Libsyn or a pro version of Libsyn. So maybe they've sat down and said, look, we can't compete at the bottom end, but we're losing out on this new growth. Mm. So let's stick something out there that's free, slightly does the job, doesn't do everything so we'll hook them in, and then once they're in the camp, they'll probably then upgrade to the next version, and bingo, we've got our uh, 
Yeah, I can see that. And I can see there being a benefit for the Libsyn holding company to own a free podcast host. I think it's just highly confusing to call it Libsyn. I mean, Libsyn are currently sponsoring Pod News. There's an ad on the top of Libsyn saying, get a month's worth of podcast hosting for free by using this code. And it's a code that you can go and use. But I can get free podcast hosting through Libsyn, through this new Libsyn Studio thing. It's just, to me, it's just really confusing. If it were me, what I would have done, not that Brad will care, but if it were me, what I would have done is I would have launched a new brand and that brand may be, I don't know, Green or Brad or whatever it is, but that's the El Cheapo, like an airline launch. If you're Qantas, you also have a different a different airline, which is called Jetstar. And Jetstar is a not very good airline, but it does the trick. But it's owned by Qantas. And if you want to upgrade to a lovely experience in a lounge and everything else, then you go with the Qantas thing. I, I, I think from my point of view, good on them for having a free podcast host which will be funded by advertising they own advertised cast it's a great you know clever way to keep everything in house i just wouldn't have called it libsyn i'd have called it something else and i think that's my my concern is just from a branding point of view trying to explain to people the difference between libsyn and libsyn studio is going to be really hard but i'm sure that they've thought of it and i'm sure that they've come up with a good plan for it it's just also just a, a hat tip from them to say that the value of podcast hosting is diminishing. It's becoming a commodity. Spotify give it away. Is it something that companies are going to say, look, hosting is free, but here's all of our other premium services around hosting? Yeah, and that may well be absolutely right. That certainly captivates model. That's certainly the model of, of Megaphone and of other larger podcast hosts. I think the additional stuff that you have in there makes your company the company that somebody wants to stay with. So I think, yeah, I think that's I think that makes a perfect sense. I I just think I would not have called it Libsyn Studio. I would have called it. Uh, they had a brand called Auxpass, which was a, not a particularly good brand, and I probably wouldn't have called it that. But I'd have called it something similar. But your your podcast ends up being hosted on Libsyn. It's a proper Libsyn hosted podcast. It's just been assembled by the Libsyn Studio system and ha has an ad in the middle of it. But with that exception, it's it's a proper Libsyn show. It's hosted on the same infrastructure. I, I wouldn't, I, I possibly wouldn't have done it that way. A great plan. I, I I am also very much enjoying watching Libsyn employees who have for the last five years been saying free podcast hosts are all rubbish. Don't go anywhere near one now fronting up this new free podcast host. There's <laughs> something that I find relatively amusing about it, which again, wouldn't have been a problem if they had launched it, not called it Libsyn. So anyway. Maybe we'll get Rob Greenley on next week and ask him to tell us all about it. Oh, that, and that wouldn't be fair because Rob's a nice man. and It's not Rob's fault. It's all about it. I'm sure he could. I'm sure he could. But uh, no, I'm looking forward to seeing, I'm looking forward to seeing all my friends at Libsyn at Podcast Movement. And, and I'm sure that it'll be a good, it'll be a good thing. Okay. They also announced today that Libsyn's advertised cast is to buy par. What is par, James? 
So Par is a is an uh, ad company. It sells advertising in podcasts. It's got about 120 shows in there, run by two people called Rick Salar, who I've known for a while and who's very nice, and Anthony Savelli. They actually used to work for Himalaya a long time ago. And uh, yeah, so Libsyn have, have jumped in and bought this particular company. It will be merging with AdvertiseCast. So it's essentially it's adding 120 premium shows to advertise casts roster which makes a bunch of sense terms it costs lives in five million dollars worth of cash plus 2.7 million dollars worth of stock over the next uh, three years and a possible six million payout if they hit targets and things like uh, that it wasn't a cheap purchase but i think it's a good purchase and rick i know very well will be a very good asset to that particular company so, moving on. iHeartMedia has signed with a Veritone to use synthetic voices to translate shows into different languages, which is quite cool. Now, you and Brian used a third-party mm. product to do something similar, didn't you? We used the same product that they're oh, using, so it's great go. to see them using it. It's Marvel AI run by Veritone, and yeah, so if you go to the Sounds Profitable website, the Spanish Sounds Profitable website, which is at espanol.soundsprofitable.com, then you can actually click the button that says listen and listen to a automatic synthesized version of Brian reading a article out in uh, Spanish, and Brian speaks no Spanish, so it's a really clever system. And great to see iHeart using that as one way of translating their shows into different languages. They may sound a little bit robotic, but certainly it's better than having no content there at all. So that's one interesting way of doing it. The other interesting way of doing it is uh, Dua Lipa, who has released her podcast in lots of different uh, countries and things. She is using actors instead. And so you hear a very sort of a BBC thing of somebody talking in a foreign language, and then it's faded down and you hear somebody else over the, over the top in your language explaining what it is that they're actually saying. So that's certainly another way of doing it. It's probably the better way of doing it, but of course it's far less uh, scalable. Yeah, but I think uh, talking to Dino, he was saying that he just didn't think that AI and voice translation was ready for it yet. It's in the no, but I would. I, yeah, I would. I would agree with him there, and I think it's nice that you can do it, but I'm not necessarily sure that I would listen to an entire podcast made with an artificial voice. Having said that, there are quite a lot of those available now anyway. It could well be that I've been doing that anyway. And in fact, <laughs> there's a radio DJ somewhere in the US who has trained a, a similar tool to do his voice so that he can do more shows, which I find hilarious. So he already does uh, a number of shows on a number of different uh, stations. He's trained that particular voice to be the DJ so that he his voice can actually be taught to do a bunch more shows on a bunch more stations, which I find weird. So maybe your next presenter on uh, River Radio might just be a, uh, a computer instead. God, it would save a lot of herding cats around, that's for certain. Yes, love them dearly, all of them. Now, social podcasting, podcast host Usha, is that how you say it? Yeah, Ausha. Uh, I think they're French. They're French. They are. Okay. So, moving on. Podcasting host Ausha has launched a complete social media management tool. I'm totally confused by what that would be. And it says it's the first in the world to do it. connects mm. to Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. What is this promotion tool? Is it just adding links so that you can push your podcast out it's, it's what it's basically doing is that it is automatically sending links out and players out to instagram linkedin facebook and uh, twitter 
So when you release a new episode, then it will automatically send those out. But you can also schedule clips. You can schedule uh, video clips. You can put in other tools in there as well. So it's a, a little bit more. Probably, I'm not entirely sure it's the first in the world. I think Libsyn actually have quite a few tools to integrate with uh, Twitter and with Facebook and other things. So I'm not sure that it's the first one, but it nevertheless, isn't. it's quite a nice trick that they can actually basically stick a bunch of this stuff up and uh, make it all available. So it's a clever, it comes back to what, what we were saying earlier, Ausher is just another podcast host, mm -hmm. but this is something that people will stay with them for because this is something which is saving them spending, as I do, $300 a year on uh, Zapier, just so that I can, you know, send out automated emails every day or automated tweets every day. This is a good reason why somebody might want to stay with Ausher. Yeah, so good on them for doing that. Yeah, lately, which we uh, interviewed many months ago when we first started Podland, they've been doing this for ages and they've integrated with Hootsuite, so you can just plan it out of your Hootsuite to do this. So no, I don't think they are the first. But what's interesting is uh, Ausha also own Radio King, which is the platform I use for River Radio. But what they don't do, like Podcast Co. in Manchester, they don't do any integration between the radio server backend and their podcast host. So one of the things that they should have done or could have done was do what we do with Wushka. So we feed our Icecast feed straight into Wushka, who then turn mm. it into a podcast. But Alsha should have done that. That that would be a no-brainer to take my live radio feed from Radio King, which they own, convert it into yeah. a podcast and, and send that out for me. So uh, that would be yeah, a smart no, indeed. thing. Indeed. But they, if they're listening, maybe they'll fix that. They don't fix James, anything. James, fix it. They don't fix anything. <laughs> Bonjour, customer support. Hello, how are you? Now, BBC uh, Radio Music and Podcast app, BBC Sounds. Now let's user control your own play cue. Doesn't sound that mm. exciting, James, but what is it? No, not really. It's it, it, it basically BBC Sounds have realised that play cues are nice. The play cue that you have on your you know, Google Podcasts or on your Spotify, where you can work out what you're going to play next after you've finished listening to this thing that you're mm -hmm. listening to right now. That's what BBC Sounds is going to get if you're using an iPhone. Obviously, if you're using an Android phone, then the BBC hates you. And so therefore, you won't be getting that anytime soon. It's a long running thing that the BBC do with just ignoring Android users, which is bizarre, given that all Android users pay the same money as uh, iPhone users to get their stuff into the BBC. Yeah, so it's, it's a very annoying thing. I noticed that the person who sent me the press release about this new play queue sends me the press release and then instantly sets his out of office on and goes off on holiday. Tip, a tip for PR people. Don't do that. <laughs> that's, not, that's not a clever plan. So anyway, the BBC, of course, does other things to annoy me, I think, more than anything else. It blocks its shows on Google Podcasts, and they're now brilliantly, in a masterstroke, removing some of their shows from the open podcast ecosystem and moving them into the BBC Sounds app for the first 30 days. So if you want to listen to Friday Night Comedy, which is a topical news quiz about the week's news, then you'll only have to wait for a month before you can hear it on your favourite podcast app. Genius, BBC. You've, you've just done another great thing. And uh, of course, a spokesperson says that this gives licensed payers more value. Mm. Don't really understand where the more value comes from. They are running ads like nobody's business. 
two ads that they run. One is you can get your shows on BBC Sounds before you get them live broadcast. So I think they've become a podcast first radio station, but that's another comment. But the other one that cracks me up is that they are now actively targeting the value and the reason why the BBC is good value. And it is good value because the Tory government here is trying to kill them. So they're basically putting out ads every day saying, this is the reason why the BBC shouldn't be uh, taxed and the reason the BBC should exist. So it's quite entertaining. Yeah, and one, and one of the reasons why the BBC shouldn't be taxed is it should be there for open for an open ecosystem and mm. it should be there for an open ecosystem across all all platforms. So if the BBC wants to do that, then it should actually talk the talk as well as walking the walk, whatever the phrase is. It should actually do that. It should keep things open. It was the first major podcaster in the UK in November of 2004 with the In Our Time podcast, which is another podcast that they're shutting behind the BBC app. And you'll only be able to hear new shows of that behind the BBC Sounds app now. If the BBC is trying to prove that it's a good member of the, of the UK, then why not try being one instead of arrogantly trying to bully people to use your dreadful podcast app that hasn't even got a play queue yet on android anyway uh, this is a soapbox that i'm on i will get off it <laughs> that was the sound of james getting off it podmatch now yeah. pays podcast hosts when they released new episodes how does this work james and why would they do that so podmatch is a tool which allows you as a podcaster to find guests for your podcast and it charges podcasters and charges guests to take part in this if you're a podcaster then you can either pay six dollars a month or you can pay 39 dollars a month which seems like a quite an eye-watering uh, <laughs> amount to join podmatch and to get in touch with a bunch of people that want to be on your show and, and that are worthwhile interviewing what they're now doing though is that they have that they are beginning to pay you if you use particular interviewees in your show my guess is that they're doing that so that they have many more people who join and many more people who take part so if you're a guest then you know that you're going to get a ton of interviews uh, and that'll be a wonderful thing because they're being paid to take you as a guest Having said that, they're paying you up to $16.50 per interview. $16.50 doesn't sound like an awful lot of money, but nevertheless, it's something. And yeah, that's what they're currently doing. It's an interesting business model. And so it'll be quite fascinating to see how that pans out in the next uh, three or four months. One way of getting customer acquisition, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Facebook. Yes, I said that rude word, or should I say meta? I don't know anymore. Spreaker has worked with Meta to produce a new simplified way to add your podcast to Facebook. It uses a new API and currently podcasts on Facebook, though, as we all know, are only available in the US and on mobile. Yeah, so Spreaker have finally got uh, Facebook to just do a, a nifty little API to get their um, podcast into uh, Facebook. And that sounds like a good plan. Hey, Facebook, why don't you open that up to everybody else? That would be nice. But still, good to see uh, Spreaker doing that. Spreaker also are owned by iHeartRadio out of the US, uh, so they're uh, a pretty big thing. Talking of iHeartRadio, uh, in Australia, the owner of iHeart Podcast Network, that's not to do with iHeartRadio, is it? It is. It's the same brand. So they own the brand, the iHeartRadio oh, brand in uh, Australia. In fact, I've been listening. I've been commuting to school every day. I don't work at school, but my daughter obviously 
goes to school. So I've been going to school every single day in the car. The, the traffic where I'm currently staying is just ridiculous. And half an hour in the morning, I've been enjoying the delights of the various radio stations on iHeartRadio. One of them is iHeartRadio's TikTok channel, which is, which is really good, which we're all enjoying. But anyway, they've just released their year 2021 results, and uh, it's all good news. And the company's called um, HT&E, here, there and everywhere. And ARN, which is the bit of uh, HT&E that runs the iHeart Podcast Network, say that they plan to invest heavily in podcasting, which is nice. Uh, and meanwhile, their big competitor, SCA, is going to be investing in audio fiction inside its app, which is called Listener, without the E for some reason. So nice to see that growing. Nice also to see some work in Germany, MA Podcast. There's a new podcast ranking tool for advertisers, quite similar to Triton Digital. It'll use log file analysis and the existing IAB version 2.1 standard. And Podigy over there has launched a dynamic ad server as well. I think this is the first dynamic ad server within the German podcast hosting companies. So good to see that's rolling out over the next couple of months. Ah, uh, finally, a new podcast by Google has launched. Now, is this a bit like the LinkedIn where I got excited that they'd launched a new podcast? This one's even funnier. So it's a podcast. It's some podcast from somebody at Google Startups, which is some department of Google. And it's talking about startups. And it's it looks like the, the most tedious thing that you've ever seen. But they sent out a press release. This is Google sending out a press release about a Google podcast that they have just launched. And they said on the bottom of the press release, they linked to the show on Apple Podcasts. And they said it's available on Apple, Spotify, and all major <laughs> podcast platforms. Now, the first episode of this show looks at team culture. So just imagine the team culture at Google Podcasts after even Google forgets that it exists. It's just Genius, you couldn't make it up. How unloved is that podcast app? Bless them. Moving on. Movers and Shakers, uh, big congratulations to Janine Wright for starting a new position as the COO slash general manager at Wondery. wonder if James has moved over there yet. Yes, I wonder uh, if James has moved over. James Cater has moved over there yet. We've not actually been told that he's moved there yet. So, but his job's been advertised. But his job's being advertised, so that's nice. Lots of stuff from the BBC. Emily Maitlis and John Sopel, two big BBC people. Emily Maitlis, you may remember, was the person who interviewed the very non-sweaty Prince Andrew about being you know, Prince now. Andrew. I bet he's not, because he's reached agreement, hasn't he? So I'm mm. sure everything's all fine. <laughs> anyway, they've both joined Global. They're going to front a new podcast as well as do a show on Global's LBC. And I thought it was interesting that they put it that way round rather than we're doing a show on Global's LBC which is a news talk station that they focus on the podcast first so it was interesting seeing that will be produced by Dino Sophos as well fan of the show and Louise Minchin who is also a BBC ex-BBC person she is she's actually already been doing one podcast and she's about to do another with a company which is a company to do with athletics and stuff like that and it's called Push Your Peak which is good and some sad news uh, coming Indeed. out of Singapore Wayne Chong who was the founder of Podfest Asia and just such a genuinely nice guy mm. he died earlier on this week he was 44 he has a memorial service being held this uh, weekend and uh, you and he share a bond do you not? Yeah we became good friends through Covid because obviously of the podcast Fest Asia, but we also are fellow Liverpool fans and I went on his Liverpool podcast a few times so 
Wayne, you will be missed. In the words of every Liverpool fan, you'll never walk alone. Now, Boostergram Corner comes back next week because that's where the umbral is, but we're really grateful for your boosts. So if you get any value from what we do here, talking through all of this stuff and the interviews and stuff, then please uh, do boost us. And from next week, we'll also have other ways to contribute to the show if you wish to do that. That's all good. We are looking forward to being at Podcast Movement Evolutions as well as I'm going to Radio Days Europe. Rob Greenley has just been announced there as a speaker. And that's in Malmö in Sweden, or Malmö in Sweden in uh, May. It's a as yet unannounced thing that I I don't think we can talk about, but I'm I'm going to talk about it anyway. On Sunday, just before the main podcast, the main Radio Days Europe event, on Sunday there is a podcast summit and lots of podcasty people will be there. And that's why Rob is uh, there. So that's going to be uh, really good. And of course, we'll be at the podcast show 2022 just after that too. What's going on for you this week on uh, Podland uh, then, Sam? I attended Podcast Futures in London, so thanks, Gerard, for organising that. Yeah, I'm head down, talking to Ofcom, getting the final T's and C's and giving away blood samples and don't know what else I have to give away, but Ofcom are demanding, so six days till we turn on DAB. And uh, my little uh, crafty beer vessel on the water called the crafty targets now in dry dock james so yeah very exciting that's oh, going to be launched soon as well very good that's very exciting and just if in, in case you are not in the uk or europe or australia dab is a way of broadcasting the radio using like an antenna and speakers uh, and everything it's just like the radio basically but <laughs> a little bit better and uh, yes you're going to be on all over newbury and reading and basingstoke and Andover, and even a little bit of Slough. So won't that be exciting? Yeah, that'll be very. That'll be a. That'll be a thrill. I look forward to lots of pictures of your car radio tuning into your radio station in various. <laughs> well, it beats Tom Webster's in, dogs. Yes, in various things. My week is interesting. The reason why I may sound as if I've speeded up slightly towards the end is that in 10 minutes I will be speaking at a conference in Belgium <laughs> about the future of podcasting. And I suddenly realised I need to go and get my pod news shirt on and uh, go and sit uh, somewhere proper. So I'll go and do that. But yeah, I've been uh, speaking at um, the EBU and various other things as well. So I've uh, been enjoying doing that and enjoying planning some of the things that I'll be doing at Podcast Movement Evolutions as well in LA. Qantas have only cancelled that flight twice, so um, I'm looking forward to finally getting out there on whatever flights they have left. Anywho, that's it for this week. Please follow Podland in your podcast app and on Twitter at Podland News. You can also find previous shows on the web at www.podlandnews. And Mark Watson on Twitter says, you can't say it anymore. Get it wherever you get your podcast. He's not happy with people saying that at the end of podcast. He says it likens it to the phrase butter adverts that used to say, get it in a corner shop or wherever you get your butter. He says, stop it now. Don't say it anymore. <laughs> well, I used to always say, get it in your favourite podcast app or in Spotify, which used to be a joke, but uh, <laughs> it's increasingly... Not really. Anyway, if you want daily news, you should get Pod News. The newsletter is free at podnews.net. The podcast can be found in your podcast app, and all the stories we've discussed on Podland today are in the show notes. We use chapters and transcripts too. Music is from Ignite Jingles, and we're hosted and sponsored by our good friends Buzzsprout. Keep listening. <laughs>